Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. How many times have you come off a great month or quarter only to find that the company's sales pipeline is woefully empty and now everyone on the sales team is struggling to keep up? Our guest on this episode of Talking Business Now is Colleen Francis, also known as the sales leader, and she will discuss why you shouldn't accept that as the norm, as so many companies do. She'll offer a strategy for putting an end to those boom and bust sales cycles so you can enjoy a non-stop sales boom. Colleen is the best-selling author of popular sales books, including her most recent book, Non-Stop Sales Boom. She's a certified sales professional and an inductee into the Speaking Hall of Fame. Sales and Marketing Magazine has called Colleen and her company, Engage Selling, one of the top five most effective sales training organizations in the market today. We'll start talking business now with Colleen right after this message from our sponsor, Interobang Solutions. Would you like to position your company as an industry thought leader, increase engagement, and build credibility with prospects and clients, establish your influence as a trusted resource? Interobang Solutions offers full-service writing and publishing solutions that deliver your company's messages with a bang. You can count on us to provide turnkey solutions that support your existing marketing and communication staff or act as your full-service outsource partner. Interobang Solutions, providing custom writing, editing, and publishing solutions. Call 913-676-7272 or visit www.interobanksolutions.com. That's 913-676-7272 or www.interobanksolutions.com. We're talking business now with Colleen Francis, the founder and president of Engage Selling Solutions. In this episode of Talking Business Now, Colleen talks with us about how you can create a non-stop sales boom, which also happens to be the title of her most recent book. Welcome, Colleen. Thanks so much for having me. It's my great pleasure to be here. Well, we love this topic because I have worked with business owners for close to 30 years and sales is always their number one issue, what they're most concerned about. And and so let's, let's just get right to it here. You know, you say that business leaders can't rely any longer on approaches to sales, you know, techniques that were decades ago, but yet they still do. For example, in the yeah, for example, the introduction, you know, I was referring to a very commonplace scenario, you know, where you have a salesperson or sales team that has a great month or quarter, and then boom, the bottom drops out and the next sales period is flat or it's down. And, you know, that's really bad. I mean, that's bad enough in itself, but even worse is that it's accepted. So I have two questions yes. here to get started. Why does that cycle happen? And why are we so willing to accept it as normal? But it's a great question. Um, I think we're willing to accept it as normal because it's been going on for a long time. And so sales managers get complacent and they think, well, if sales are up one month, they're down the next, but we can make it up the next month as long as we're okay by the end of the year. It's no big deal. This is just normal. 
What they fail to remember is it's not normal. Um, it's completely self-inflicted, and it's hot, incredibly stressful on an organization and an individual. Because when an individual falls behind in a month and then has to work like crazy the next month to make it up, that's incredibly stressful on them um, as compared to have just hitting their targets month over month. And the organization, in a small business, that can really hurt your cash flow. Mm -hmm. You get a couple of months behind or a quarter behind, and now you're in catch-up mode. And if you're unprofitable for a couple of those months, um, that can be really stressful on your entire organization. You'll start to cut back. You'll start to um, reduce costs in marketing. You'll start to stop going to networking events and stop doing all the things that are going to drive business in the organization. Yeah. And so you create this highly stressed organization, plus you're going to lose people because salespeople don't want to work in that kind of environment. Why does it happen? It's completely self-inflicted. It happens primarily for one reason, and that's because as we get busy closing deals, which is the fun part of our business, people signing contracts, we're ringing the bell, we're like saying, yay, you know, let's send an invoice. We forget to do all the stuff at the front end of the sales cycle that got us to this place of being able to close. And we forget for two reasons. One, we don't really like to do that work. And so we think to ourselves, woohoo, I never have to make these cold calls again, or I never have to make these prospecting calls again. You know, the fire hose is open. Finally, I've reached this position where people are coming to me. And we also, uh, so we we trick ourselves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we also just get busy. And so we think, well, I have to spend all my time closing these deals because these people want to buy from me and so I don't have time to do this other work. And those two things then cause us to fall into this deficit uh, for a month or two afterwards. Sure. The well runs dry while you're closing all those deals and you don't have anything to go back to once all of those are taken care of. You know, what is, you mentioned cold calling. A lot of people say cold Mm calling is dead. What is, in your opinion, uh, really more than opinion, you've seen it play out time and time again, what's the best way to attract some of the best leads into your pipeline these days? Yeah, it's a great question because pure cold calling is um, dead or close to dying. And by a pure cold call, I mean, you know, randomly calling someone from the phone book mm-hmm. who's never heard of you before. Right. <laughs> People just aren't taking those calls. So um, the best way to attract um, these days is a combination of things. Um, referrals are still, you know, the holy grail, right? Yes. So if you refer me to a trusted supplier, then those those contacts tend to close at a much higher rate, two to one, three to one. So when all, at all possible, we want those referrals. But in an environment where we might not be able to get referrals or get enough referrals, we want to create an environment of testimonials, of case study, of knowledge, of education. So we want to flood the marketplace with high-value content, whether it be uh, webinars, podcasts, articles, um, tips, in all of the places where our prospects might be, and this could include online and offline, to create an environment where prospects see us everywhere. And then when they're ready to buy, they raise their hand and say, well, you know, I see you everywhere, so I should talk to you. When you create that um, feeling of market dominance because you're everywhere your prospects are, you're going to attract the best prospects. Well, and taking that one step further, if you're employing some of the methods that you just mentioned, such as webinars and so forth, you're establishing not only market dominance, but credibility and expertise in the marketplace so that you're not only everywhere, but you're trusted, you're reliable, and all of those things that people who are buying from you or or thinking about buying from you want to be assured that you're going to be. 
Absolutely. And that's what's critical in this marketplace because there is so much noise out there. Uh, buyers and good buyers are really educating themselves at the front end of the sales cycle because they're risk adverse. There are so many options for them to buy from. They think to themselves, well, I don't want to have to talk to 20 different companies. Let me do the research myself. Um, let me get comfortable with my top two, three, five, you know, short list, um, and let me be in control of the process. Then when I'm comfortable with what's out there, what I want to do, what's going to benefit me, and I feel educated, then I will invite people in to start working through the process with me. Another thing that you talk about is, you know, we all know that we're supposed to qualify our prospects. That That's a given. Any yeah. good salesperson knows that. But you said that it's also the responsibility of the buyer to qualify uh, as well. Yeah. So talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, the, the buyers are um, going through a qualification process all the time with their education. Mm -hmm. So they're asking their own um, internal resources, like their buying groups. Well, who do you think we should do business with? Who who have you seen? Who have you heard from? They're asking their trusted advisors, hey, you know, what companies have you been working with? What do you think we should do? What solutions do you think we're out are out there? They're doing their own research to be in control. And they're saying, you know, what do I think the right approaches should be? What companies look respectable to me? Who's, who's playing in our sandbox? Mm -hmm. Who's working with our competitors? And so they're doing all of that work to try to come to some conclusion before they even meet you about whether or not you're worthy of their time. You say something that some people might uh, sit up straight and say, really? Uh, and and <laughs> that is that not all clients deserve the right to grow equally. And you know, so many salespeople, oh my gosh, I got a lead, I got a lead, and they're going to follow it and, and just work it to death. And you're like, no, not not so much for some of these people. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it's a good, it's a good point. So in, um, in the section on growth in the book, what I say is that your clients fall into into four different buckets. They're either, they're either growth, you know, to divide it in half, they're either growth worthy or they're not. Yes. And being not growth worthy doesn't mean they're bad customers. In fact, some of those people who are highly engaged with you might not have any growth potential because they're already giving you everything they can. Mm -hmm. And so we often make the mistake of saying our biggest customers are our best customers. And I don't quite um, believe that that's true. I believe that your best customers are a combination of two different groups. Your biggest, absolutely, but also those that have the biggest growth potential. And you need to treat them very differently. All too often, we just say our A customers are all treated the same. So I look at this on a matrix of engagement and growth potential. And clients who are highly engaged um, but have low growth potential are the ones we want to wrap our arms around and hug, keep close. <laughs> we don't want to lose them. Right. We, we don't want to be selling them every week because they'll get sick of that. Mm -hmm. um, we want to treat them, have them in as customer advisors. We want to get their opinions. We want to run new ideas by them. We want to use them as testimonials, keep them part of that inner circle. Whereas those who have high levels of engagement, in other words, they, they love us and they're talking to us at all levels, but have high growth potential, those key accounts should be treated very differently because there we are trying to get them to buy more or to buy new or to refer us to other divisions. And so we need to be really careful when we look at that. We also have to recognize you probably, everybody on this call has a base of business, maybe it's 10% or 20% of your business that is really just what I call service business. We react to it when it comes in. We're going to be professional. 
we're going to be courteous, we're going to be um, highly responsive, but they're only ever going to buy, you know, one thing or they treat us as vendors. They're Mm -hmm. calling for a quote, but they're not really those customers who could ever spend thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars with us. And so those people with no growth potential can't be treated the same as the rest of your customers. Drilling down a little bit further, what are some of the indicators that help you distinguish between a customer that, you know, we've, we've already established that both groups are engaged, but how do you establish which ones are the ones with growth potential and the ones that aren't? What are some of the signs or the indicators that, yeah, I better, I better back off here. These people are going to stay engaged, <laughs> but I don't want to make them mad. So, so what, what are some of those signals to look for? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, there's all sorts of just quantitative and qualitative um, data about the customer. Mm -hmm. Like, is it big? Does it have multiple divisions that you can work with or multiple locations? Is it part of a conglomerate? Is it part of, you know, a network, a private equity network? Are there multiple departments that could be buying your product? So does it have a substantial number of employees? So, you know, that's first of all, look at it that way. Or is it just a small business? that, you know, is buying from you and likes you, but they just have no growth potential. You know, then have you, if you've got a broad product portfolio, have you sold them or do they have the potential to, to buy more than one of those products? You know, then after that, it, it really is going to depend on your engagement levels. So what I mean by that is as customers start to engage with you, if you have access to multiple people, they return your calls. If you're dealing with, you know, the C-levels, the VP levels, the directors, the workers, if you can walk on site and people say, hey, Colleen, um, you know, it's a high level of engagement, which means that they're more likely to buy from you. Okay. If they call you randomly and just say, hey, what's your price on X? And you give them a price and they, you know, it's clear that they're shopping around, then that's a low level of engagement and someone who might not be able or willing to grow with you. You talk about how you can use some of these clients that you just described, highly engaged, a lot of growth potential, how to use them to generate other leads for you. How, how can they do that? Yes. Referrals and testimonials. Mm-hmm. So two things, um, you know, writing a case study. So you could be writing a case study about what they were experiencing before they worked with you and what the experience was after. So you've got a results-based case study or testimonial. You can ask them for referrals. You could interview them um, on a speaking circuit or have them as part of a client panel. Um, you know, Salesforce.com is a really good example of this. They did a they did a roadshow a couple of years ago, and they'd have somebody speak from Salesforce, and then they'd have three customers on stage talking about how they use the application and the before and after. And so people were really interested in that and thought, oh, hey, I'm just like that company. So I can, you know, talk to them. Yeah. You know, you have several uh, books that you have written and your latest is on putting an end to the boom and and bust sales cycle. Where can we get any of your books, especially your latest one? Oh, I'll, of course, at your favorite online bookseller. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my everyone's go-to seems to be Amazon, but you know, whether it's Amazon or Indigo in Canada or uh, Barnes & Noble online. <laughs> and if you can't find it, you can always come directly to us at EngageSelling.com. Okay, EngageSelling.com. You can find Nonstop Sales Boom there as well as, as Colleen's other books. And then you also have quite a few resources on your website. Again, EngageSelling.com. What are some of those? Um, well, our blog and all of our videos are um, on our website. It links to all of our social media, which include our LinkedIn page and our Facebook page, which are really active um, in terms of posting content and commenting on content, answering questions. And you can access all of that right from our 
uh, website. And you know what? Short of buying the book from your favorite bookseller, it's all free. Ah, that is that is a great price. <laughs> yeah, no haggles exactly. there. <laughs> yeah, you know, let's wrap up with this. When it comes to sales, obviously, there's a lot of things to cover. But you know, we're talking business now. So what should you, as a sales leader, be talking to your sales team about in 2019? What, what one thing could make a big difference? Wow, that's a really great question. Um, I think it is that sales leaders need to be coaching their sales teams to the leading indicators of success, meaning stop just counting closes, which is the lagging indicator, and start managing the leading indicators, which is all the activity and qualification and opportunity creation that happens at the front end of the sales cycle to make sure that we always have opportunities to close in the middle and the back end of the sales cycle. Great advice, Colleen. And we're very excited that you came on the show today to share with us some of your knowledge from all your years of experience with sales. If anybody would like to get a copy of Nonstop Sales Boom, Colleen's latest book, go out to Amazon.com any of your favorite booksellers, or you can go to EngageSelling.com where Colleen has a lot of different resources and her other books as well. Thank you again so much. Hey, my pleasure. It was great to talk with you today. We also appreciate the support of our sponsor, Interobank Solutions, providing writing, editing, and publishing services. Give them a call at 913-676-7272 or visit interobanksolutions.com. And thank you for tuning in today. Please be sure to join us for the next episode of Talking Business Now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.